airing the Addisons. Let me say this, as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, we've got to be careful and make sure that in everything, man, we are trying to get as close to what the word says as possible. And we got to understand that with that type of wickedness, man, you know, God does not wink at that. That's judgment. Promoting truth, wisdom, and empowerment. And you don't have shades of truth. You have truth or you have error. You have fact or you have fiction. Mm -hmm. And now we go into the thick of it. Uh oh. Uh oh. Good afternoon. This is Erin Addison's here on EFR Talk. I'm Will Addison, and today I'll be holding it down. I'll let you know exactly what that means and why I'm here by myself today. But first, I want to uh, go through some house cleaning things, housekeeping things. Uh, you can always email us at addisons at AFR.net. Addisons at AFR.net. Uh, you want to talk to us, you have something to share, you can do it right there. Addisons at AFR.net. Also, also, remember we have our date night coming up. Now, the registration, the due date was yesterday, but we have a certain number uh, that we're still open to. And so if you go to marriagefamilylife.net, marriagefamilylife.net, and go to uh, the events tab. And if you click on that, you can you can find the date night. is black and red. You can't miss it. Click on that and you can register for a date night. It will be happening next Tuesday, April 27th, uh, 6.30 to 8.30 p.m. in Florence, Alabama. And so we're looking forward to that. Uh, we had our first date night in Tupelo. Uh, it was a great time. It was around Valentine's Day. Uh, it was a great time and it was a lot of fun. And I'm hoping and uh, I'm thinking that this will be the same way. And so we're just trying to celebrate marriage, encourage married couples. It's just going to be an awesome time. So remember that you can go to marriagefamilylife.net, click on the events tab, click on that date night uh, graphic, and register there. Also, the reason why I'm here uh, by myself today, well, we have some things that uh, – that the Lord has really been stirring in our hearts and uh, some things that Miki uh, uh, has to do. And uh, it's going to really be a benefit to the, the body of Christ. And so in order for her to have time to do that, uh, we, we're taking some time for her to uh, work on those things. So on Wednesdays, and I don't know how long this will be going on, but on Wednesdays, you're going to have Wednesdays with Will. <laughs> Wednesdays with Will. And so I'm going to have a few guests and different things like that, some topics that we're going to cover and talk about. Uh, and so, no, Mickey's not going. She's not, like, off the show or anything like that. But for a few Wednesdays while we get some things done, because, you know, look, for you guys out there that pray and intercede, pray for the Addisons. We have a lot of things going on. And uh, first and foremost, we want to make sure that we are training up our children. You know, we want to make sure that we are uh, giving them everything that they would need, uh, that we are ministering to our family. And so beyond that, there's other things that we do as well. Uh, and uh, it's a lot of work. But the Lord has called us to do these things. Uh, we are understanding how to say no, you know, and what to say yes to. And so there's some things that have to be done. And, uh, and I think you'll see the I know you will see the fruit of those things in the coming uh, months and and, and it's going to be awesome. But 
uh, for the for the short period of time. I don't again. I say short period of time. For the time being, you will have Wednesdays with Will. And some of the things that I want to cover, man, are some, to- some topics that you know uh, personally that I've gone through or I've I've looked at. You know, maybe through experience or some things that you know, just in ministry that have really uh, been focuses that focused uh, things that I've been uh, dealing with. And so we're going to look at that. And I have some some uh, interviews that I want to do, some topics we're going to cover. So it's going to be good. But also, there's some things I just want to encourage the body of Christ, man. You know, we are living in a time, we are living in the, in the last days, man. We have to really be solidified in our faith. You know, the, the, the days of playing games and, and just kind of like, uh, 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 you know, skirting through, they're over, man. We, we really have to be about living for Christ. And so we have to understand that these days are evil and we have to redeem the time. We have to understand that the times that we're living in, we have to redeem the time because the days are evil. Today, um, I'm going to talk a little bit about, and it's something that I had an opportunity to minister on at, at our church. Um, and it's just a blessing to do so. But it's, it's on the testing effect of the world. The testing effect of the world. But before I do that, yesterday we talked about and admonished, you know, families and parents to really be concerned about your children, you know, as they're leaving your home, going to school and what's being taught and things like that. You know, it was a strong encouragement. And yesterday something came to my mind that I had read earlier. Uh, It might have been last year uh, or the first part of this year. And it was something that Dr. Dobson wrote. Uh, He had alluded to. A uh, book that he wrote with Gary Bauer in 1990, in 1990, and he was talking about a lot of these issues that we're dealing with today. It's amazing looking at things like this from Dr. Dobson, uh, hearing some of the things that Brother Don was speaking about, and you know, some people they have different thoughts about prophets and prophetic voices, but I would say a lot of these things were prophetic. God was speaking to His people. And those who had ears to hear, they heard what the Spirit was saying. But Dr. Dobson, uh, in talking about the, the battle, you know, for the children and, and the things that were happening, what were, were going to happen in the culture, was spot on. And I want to read uh, just a little portion of, of uh, what he wrote in a book called Children at Risk. Children at Risk. And this was 1990. And it was uh, Doc, Dr. Dobson and Gary Bauer. Uh, Dr. Dobson wrote, in any major conflict between two established armies, a collision will eventually occur that proves to be decisive. Thereafter, historians will remember those terrible struggles as turning points that made the difference. For Napoleon, the decisive battle occurred at Waterloo, and it was Gettysburg and Vicksburg for the Union Army and for Abraham Lincoln. It was Stalingrad and Normandy. Uh, for Hitler's Germany, and it was at Midway, Okinawa, and Iwo Jima for the Japanese. It says these were the battles that contributed significantly to the ultimate outcomes of each war. This is uh, continuing to read from uh, the quote from his book. He said, it appears that America is now engaged in such a struggle. Now, this was like 30 years ago when he was writing this. He said, the most radical activists have a specific objective in mind. They hope to accomplish it by isolating children from their parents, 
Let me read that again. They hope to accomplish it by isolating children from their parents. What were we talking about yesterday? That was a portion of it. That some of the mindset is to cause there to be a disdain for authority. To be a separation between the parent and the children. All right. It said, going on to read more of what he said. He said, it will then be relatively easy to reorient uh, the, and indoctrinate future generations of Americans. This strategy explains why the most bitter campaigns are being waged over school curricula and other issues that involve our kids. The hearts and minds of children are the keys to the future. I'm going to read that part again. He said, this strategy explains why the most bitter campaigns are being waged over school curricula. What were we talking about yesterday? Well, how the Biden administration, um, Department of Education, are trying to implement CRT and all these different uh, curricula into the public school. So Dr. Dobson, 30 years ago, was talking about this strategy. I would say that that's prophetic. <laughs> he says, this strategy explains why the, the most bitter campaigns are being waged over school curricula and other issues that involve our kids. The hearts and minds of the children are, are the keys to the future. And then he says, children will be the prize to the winners of the great civil war of values. The children will be the prize to the winners of the great civil war of values. Those who control what young people are taught and what they experience, what they see, hear, think, and believe will determine the future course of the nation. Given that influence, the predominant val value system of an entire culture can be redesigned, redesigned in one generation or certainly in two by those with unlimited access to children. Dr. Dobson hit the nail on the head 30 years ago. And he was pointing out that the group that wins the war, the time war, wins. Whoever has the bulk of the time with your children, they will win your children. That's just how it's played. Now, if we look at our schedules, well, and I'm not saying that everyone has to homeschool or do private school, but I just want just look at the time war. Let's just call it the time wars. Okay? Where are our children spending the most time? Well, they're in school. They're apart from the, the parents. Okay? What are they being taught? See, that's one thing. One thing for there to be a separation there because of them being in school. But what are they being taught? That's another thing. The content. And we see from these stories that we talk about what they are constantly promoting and pushing in the schools. Okay? We, we know that they are pushing sexual deviancy. We know that they are pushing uh, uh, anti-biblical, anti-God type of uh, curricula. We understand this. We know this, right? And so if the bulk of the time is spent there and the bulk of the uh, indoctrination is spent there, then what will you have? What will you have, right? So we have to strategize as the people of God, and I, I believe churches will be instrumental in helping out with this cause. We have to strategize how we can help provide resources, um, our, maybe our church buildings, things like that, so that we can begin to 
gain more ground in a time game with our children. Yes, we need to disciple them in the home. But a lot of parents don't have the luxury of, of homeschooling. Everybody can't do that. I understand that. So I feel like the next level is what can the body of Christ do? What can we do as pastors, as church leaders to think through how can we uh, give the resources uh, to families that they may be able to better uh, be equipped to disciple their children? It's red alert time, man. It's red alert time. We have churches that sit empty. Miki mentioned this yesterday. During the week, for the bulk of the week. Just nice buildings with a lot of space. And we can utilize that, you know, for training up our children. You know, we just need a little vision. We have teachers who have retired. And we have some teachers who are like, man, if I had an opportunity to get out of the system, I, I would. We just have to have vision. Why do you think the world works so hard at, at grasping at our children? They understand that if we win that generation, we win your children. They don't care about us. If we can get your kids, we, we got the future. Why don't the church, the body of Christ, think the same way? See, indoctrination in my book is not wrong. It's what are they being indoctrinated with? We indoctrinate our children. We teach them the word of God. We want them to be thoroughly indoctrinated with the truth of God's word. But if the bulk of their time is spent elsewhere, and look, the church, that's another thing that we get twisted. The church serves as a supplement to what the family is already doing. We can't send our children off to the church and say, you guys disciple them. That's not how this works. We have to say, man, I'm discipling my kid. I'm trying to do all the things that are necessary uh, at home. And I just want the church to come alongside and help me and help to reinforce what I'm already doing at home. So I just want to give that encouragement from yesterday's show. I'm going to move on to something different uh, in the second segment. But, uh, man, we have to do a better job. We have to ask God for wisdom. We have to strategize and understand that we need to uh, look at these things and understand where we are and make the proper adjustments. This is Aaron Addison's here on AFR Talk. We'll be back right after this. I just wanna go. I'm only breathing your air. Come on, Father, hear my prayer. Take me there, take me there. And He's saying, I just wanna see you, Father, than I'm used to. Come on, finally see it clear. Take me there, take me there, take me there. Yeah. Tell me, have you ever seen her? This is Will. You're listening to Aaron and Addison's. Wednesdays with Will, all right? And I had something I wanted to share, uh, just an encouragement. You know, uh, we see a lot of the effects of the pull of the world uh, upon the church. You know, the, the, the world has an effect upon the church, and there's a lot of ideas and different things that have infiltrated the church because we've allowed them to come in from the world. You know, um, our brother John, 
First John chapter two, verse fifteen uh, through seventeen says, "Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. And if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away, and also its lust. But the one who does the will of God lives." forever this is a strong admonishment you know we're going to we, we live here as a part of this world in this world but we're not of it and so you know in my in my, in my time of reading uh came across a portion of scripture that really stuck out to me see when i when i when i read um there's usually a time when i'm reading something that something sticks out and i feel like the lord is saying stop Stop right here. Don't go any any further and look at this scripture, you know. And then I w- what I'll start to do is I'll take it and I'll start to study it. I, I'll start to uh, try to learn what it's saying, some of the key words in the passage. And so uh, there, was a, there was a scripture that I came across, and it, this happened to me. The Lord was like, stop. <laughs> and it's in Second Peter uh, chapter I believe it's chapter two. Uh, it says, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to pits of darkness reserved for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a preacher of righteousness, with seven others when he, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, and if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to destruction by reducing them to ashes, Having made them an example to those who would live ungodly lives thereafter. And if he rescued righteous Lot, oppressed by the sensual conduct of unprincipled men, for by what he saw and heard, that righteous man, while living among them, while living among them, felt his righteous soul tormented day after day by their lawless deeds. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment. So I, I was looking at that scripture and uh, the first thing that came to my mind was, well, who was Lot? And, you know, sometimes we don't go that deep. We're like, yeah, I know who Lot was. That was, you know, Abram's uh, uh, nephew. But yeah, he was Abram's nephew. Uh, his dad was uh, Haran, who, of course, was Abram's uh, brother. And the, the scripture tells us in Genesis chapter 11, uh, verse 27, it said, Now these were the records of the generation of Terah. And Terah became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran became the father of Lot. And Haran died in the presence of his father, Terah, in the land of his birth, in Ur, in Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abram and Nahor uh, took wives uh, for themselves. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah, and the daughter of Haran. The father of Milcah was Eshcah. Sarai was barren and had no children. And Terah took Abram, uh, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, uh, his son, Abram's wife, and they went out together from Ur of the Chaldeans in order to enter the land of Canaan. And they went as far as Haran and settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. 
And so we see a picture here of uh, the family, Abraham's family. And we see that Lot, of course, is Abraham's nephew. Now, God commanded Abram to leave his country, his relatives and everything, and to go to a land that he didn't know about. He knew nothing about, uh, but the Lord would show him. Very interesting that Abram, uh, Abraham was a man of faith. He believed God because think about it. God told him to leave everything. Now, he was an idol worshiper before he, he, he came to God. So God said, no, get up, leave all of that. Leave everything, your family, the religion that you had, everything, and I'll show you where to go. All right? Now the Lord said to Abram, go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, and so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those that bless you, and, and the ones who curse you I will curse. Uh, and in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So Abram went forth as the Lord has spoken to him. And Lot, Lot, that's our object lesson person, Lot went with him. Now, Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his nephew, and all their possessions, which they had accumulated, and the persons which they had acquired in Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan. Thus they came to the land of Canaan. Interesting that Lot went with Abram. Lot went with Abram, and I'll come back to that. If you go down um, and you look at Genesis chapter 13, starting at verse 8, we see that there was a separation. Um, well, first before the separation, there was, um, he went with Abram, that tells us that Lot saw something that in Abram or in what Abram was commanded to do that he believed as well. But they, they so they dwell together for a little while, right? But then there's a, a division that, that happens because Abram, as he is living in the land, he's increasing. He has all kind of, uh, uh, of herd and, and silver and gold. But at the same time, Lot, is increasing as well. And so they become so large, both families, both areas that it's like, man, we can't live in the same place. And so Abram was like, man, we need to break this up. We need to, you know, not have any tension between our, our herdsmen. And so this is what he said. So Abram said to Lot, please let there be no strife between you and me, nor between your herdsmen and my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brothers. Now, the, the, the word for brothers here is ach, A-C-H. That means a kinsman, a brother, a family member. So Abram's saying, man, we're brothers. We're, we're, we don't let tension between our herdsmen come between us. Then he said, it's not the whole land before you. Please separate from me. If to the left, then I will go to the right. If to the right, then I will go to the left. And look what Lot did. So Lot lifted up his eyes and saw the valley of the Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere. And this was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as you go to Zohar. So Lot chose for himself all the valley of Jordan, of the Jordan, and Lot journeyed eastward. Thus they separated from each other. Then it says, Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled in the cities of the valley, and moved his tent as far as Sodom. 
Then it says, it gives us a hint to where a lot is going. It said, now the men of Sodom were wicked exceedingly and sinners against the Lord. The men of Sodom were wicked exceedingly and sinners against the Lord. So he was going to a place. These people, these guys were wild, right? Now, Lot didn't take any, any of that into consideration. It didn't say that Lot prayed to the God of Abram and said, which one should I choose? What did Lot do? He lifted up his eyes and saw the land that was well watered. Point number one, that living in a world, we cannot be governed by our senses. Okay? There are going to be things that the world will present to us that will be alluring, will look beautiful. If we lift up our eyes and say, man, I'm going there because it's so beautiful, they'll give away. They'll give away. Lot didn't try to inquire of, of, of any information. I wonder who's living out there in that land. I wonder, you know, he, he didn't worry about any of that. He lifted up his eyes. He saw, man, this place is well watered, but the side over here is kind of dry. Nah, I'm not really feeling that. I'm going to go over here. But the Bible tells us now the men of Sodom, where he would pitch his tent close to Sodom, were wicked exceedingly and sinners so we're in this world but while we're in this world we cannot be governed by our senses right here i believe we see a, a, a type of a hook in lot's life because he looks around and he just sees what's appealing to him and that's what he chooses now he had the he had the choice abram said you choose but man there should have been more that went into that choice than just what he saw the world will try to allure us by what we see. It sounds kind of like when a woman saw that the tree was good for food and it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took it. She took its fruit and ate and she gave also to her husband with her and he ate. Or kind of sounds like, again, the devil, he took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world. And their glory. And, and he said to, to him, all these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. We can't be moved by what we see. Living in this world, I'm telling you, and you guys know for a fact that the temptations are real. That the allure is real. But man, we have to be governed by the spirit of God. We have to be governed by not what we see, but going to God and asking him for, for direction. All right? So the world is alluring. It appeals to our senses. We have to be on guard. I used to always say, you know, when thinking about the world, that it's, it's, it's appeal. It's like a Disney world for the flesh. <laughs> Everything you want. It's like the, pil the Pilgrim's Progress, you know, the Vanity Fair, you know, the beauty the success, the acceptance. The world and its systems are designed as opposed to the life in Christ. And we should have a disdain uh, and, and, and not love the world. Now, we love the people in the world. We desire that they will be saved through the gospel. But the systems of this world, we can't be in love with. The pulling appeal of the world is a trap. And it has caught many, many professing believers in its clutches. We know the stories. We know the stories. 
Now, the Bible says, now the men of Sodom were wicked exceedingly and sinners against the Lord. Now, the word in uh, this verse is very, very interesting. The men of Sodom, and it, and it specifies that these were the men, ish, right? Not, so this is not the women, the, the men. So the authority, the ones that are supposed to be leaders, the ones that, that were supposed to be, you know, uh, securing the place, they were exceedingly wicked and sinners. So the word here says wicked, exceedingly. Wicked is ra. That means they were bad. They were disagreeable. They were malignant, unpleasant, worse than worse, evil as in hurtful, unkind as in vicious in disposition, wicked, ethically in deed and actions. And then the other word is exceedingly. Maodi. Maodi. It's with muchness with force, in might, and in abundance. So these guys were forcefully wicked. Forcefully wicked. Now, I'm going to stop here because we know that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. We know that these things that we deal with are spiritual. And I'm just going to say, homosexuality, sexual deviancy, and all that stuff is spiritual. And when you look at the sin of homosexuality, it's aggressive. It could be bullying, forceful, unpleasant. It's the same today. These was, this is what these men were practicing in Sodom. We see that same type of spirit at work today. You know, what was presented early on as far as like, you know, uh, homosexuality was, oh, man, just let us live. We just want to be able to go visit our, you know, loved ones in the hospital. We want to just have the same rights. Now, what do you see on television? Every commercial, every show, if you say something against, then you're canceled. It has quickly turned into uh, something that's not tolerant when they were screaming tolerance before. Man, so this is a spiritual thing. It's not just a, a, a fleshly thing that we're dealing with. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of, of, the, of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness uh, in heavenly places. All right. That was just a side note. And so now I fast forward. And we're talking about the pull of the world. You look at Genesis chapter 18. And so Abram is visited by the Lord. Uh, and he confirms his promise that Abram would be uh, uh, that he would bless all nations and that he would have a son that that through his son uh he would have uh, uh, he would bless all nations and his his the number of his family would be more than the sands of the sea and after the the conversation with the lord and these two angels the two men got up and they looked towards sodom and then the, the lord reveals to abram abraham at this point what he was going to do to sodom but who's inside him? His nephew. I'll stop right here. This is Aaron Addison's here on American Family Radio. We're just talking about the pulling, the alluring effect, and the testing effect of the world. We'll be right back after this.
Welcome back. This is Aaron Addison's here, American Family Radio. Holding it down. Wednesdays with Wills, the first episode of that. And again, don't fear. Mickey will be back tomorrow, Lord willing. Um, but I'm going to go ahead and, and continue on. Uh, just speaking about the, the pulling effect of the world. And I'm going to fast forward through some things. Uh, some of this, uh, uh, I know people are listening. You, are, you have read this before. But just in Genesis chapter 18, we're talking about how now we, we have the, the Lord and, and a couple of angels who are meeting with Abraham and they're confirming, you know, uh, everything that was told to Abraham about what would happen through him. And as they were getting ready to leave, uh, the Lord said, I have to let my servant Abraham understand and know what, what's going to happen uh, to Sodom. And like I said, you know, who is, well, the scripture said that he pitched his tent right outside of Sodom. It was Lot. And so Abraham knows this. And so the Bible says in Genesis chapter 18, uh, I believe it's verse, verse 16, it says, Then the Lord rose up from there and looked down toward Sodom, and Abraham was walking with them uh, to send them off, uh, since Abraham would surely become a great and mighty nation, and in him all the nations of the earth will be blessed. I have chosen him, so that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring upon Abraham what he has spoken about him. And the Lord said, The outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah is indeed great, and their sin is exceedingly grave. I will go down now and see if they have done entirely according to his cry, which has come to me, and if not, I will know. All right? So judgment has been pronounced by the Lord. And the Lord said, that the outcry of, of Sodom and Gomorrah is indeed great, and their sin is exceedingly grave. All right? Then he said, I will go down now and see. Look, when the Lord says, hey, we're going to check this out. I want to see for myself what's going on. Now, we know the Lord knows. But, man, he's making a point. Man, this wickedness that's coming up before me is great. We're going to take a trip down there and see what's really going on. Right. So this outcry. This outcry, the word for that is it means distressed or a clamoring cry. It's akin to the cries of the children of Israel uh, in Egypt. And when they when their cries arose, arose up to the Lord, you know, it's a it's a it's a distressful cry. So there's outcry that's coming because of the wickedness in Sodom and in Gomorrah. So the Lord is hearing these cries. And the cities. Of these cities and the reports are so grievous that a personal visit is in order. Can you imagine that? <laughs> Verse 20 and 21, it talks about the outcry in this, that is mentioned. It said, for we are about to destroy this place because of the outcry has become so great before the Lord that the Lord has sent us to destroy it. And that's in Genesis 19. So he talks about it. They talk about it in 18 and 19. It's repeated about the outcry. The outcry. So before we go to chapter 19, and I'm, I'm just going to um, fast forward through, through some things. So judgment is pronounced. But we see something very special here. A Abraham actually intercedes. It looks like he's bargaining with God, but he's thinking about Lot being down there. If there's 50 in the city, will you destroy this city? Come on, God, you're just. You're merciful. Will you destroy it if you can find 50 and, you know, it goes all the way down to 10. <laughs> Man, 
This place was wicked. This place was wicked. But let's fast forward. Let's go forward. Then we go to chapter 19. Chapter 19 is where it, it goes down, right? So we see in chapter 19, it, it says that Lot was sitting on the city gates. He was sitting at the gates. Now, this is very telling. Because the previous scripture said that he had pitched his tent towards Sodom. Now he's sitting at the gate. Now he's sitting at the gate. The pull and the allure of the world is great. We know from Second uh, Peter, Second Peter, let's see, it was chapter 2, that the actions of the people of the land vexed Lot. So how is Lot at, at, at the city gates? The city gates were the, were the place where the elders and the men would come to make decisions, where the prominent men would come and discuss things and, and you know, security and, and what's going on, the issues of the day. Lot is sitting there at the city gate. So if he was so vexed by their conversation and so vexed by, you know, uh, what he saw and heard, how is he at the city gate? That don't seem like he's uh, vexed too much. Well, we have to read further. So when you look at Second Peter chapter 2, it uses the word vexed two times. And we're going we're gonna to get to that. In, in, in the King James Version, it used vexed two times. Before we get there, we look at chapter 19 in Genesis. And here are the facts. The two angels, they came to Sodom in the evening. And Lot is sitting at the gate. So Lot sees them, he bows down with his face to the ground and immediately invites them to his house. See, Lot knows what goes down in Sodom. He sees these men, and, and I believe he understood that these were angels. These were not just normal men, but he knows what goes down in Sodom. So he quickly invites them to come to his house, right? The angels respond in the negative. They're like, no, 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 we're going to just chill out. We're going we're gonna to stay in the city square. <laughs> and then Lot understood Sodom, so he aggressively took them and brought them to his house. That same word for aggression that I talked about earlier, meodi, is the same word used in this scripture to talk about the aggression that Lot shows, the force to get these men to come into his house. He understood. He knew what the men of Sodom were like. He was among them. So they came in Lot's house, right? So before they could lay down to go to bed, the men of the city, young and old, all from every quarter were uh, at Lot's door, commanding that the men be given to them so that they may, in quotes, know them. <laughs> Y'all know what that means. These men wanted to know them, okay? So Lot went out. He went out to the men to try to persuade them not to do this. And in this scripture, he called them Ak. Remember that word that uh, Abraham used when he was referring to Lot and said, we're brothers. That's not this, let not this tension between our herdsmen come between us. The land is all ours. We are Ak. We are brothers. Well, we hear here Lot is referring to the men of Sodom as brethren, as Ak, as kinsmen. Wow. Wow, the same word. That's very telling. 
So he presented, now Lot did this, he presented his virgin daughters to these wicked men and told them to do as they will. Another point about the alluring pull of the, war, the world, right? The world, being, being dull, the world has a feature in which it's able to dull our capacity to make decisions. Offering his daughters was not a good thing. It was not a good idea. Offering his daughters to these wicked men was not a noble thing to save. He was weighing his options, yes, but that, that, wasn't, that wasn't good. Now, the, 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 the world, and these, I, I say the world, but I'm talking about these men of Sodom. I call them the world. They say no to Lot's appeasement. They don't want his daughters. And then they started acting violent towards Lot. They start pushing up on him and almost broke his door down to get to these men. <laughs> the angels blinded these men saved Lot from these wicked men. And they say that these men were try, still trying to get to the door, that they tired themselves out grasping for the door because they were blinded. Okay, there's a lot in that. So the things that should stick out is that Lot called, called these wicked men brothers, right? Also that he, get, he presented his virgin daughters to be taken by these men and said, do whatever you will to them. Just don't touch these men. Okay. The capacity to make decisions can be dulled by the world. And also, these men, who he called brethren, they turned on him once Lot stood up against them. Oh, these were your brothers? The world will chew you up, spit you out. It will present like we're all on the same team. Man, come on, man, I have this, I have that. The world will draw you in and take all that you have, spit you out. All right, last, last points here. So the world and its allure desires to keep us bound, right? The pull of the world is strong, and we need the strength from God uh, to remain unblemished. Let's think about this. Lot knew these men were not just no ordinary men. He knew the men of Sodom were, were and was well acquainted with their ways, right? He, he had just gone through the ordeal, the city men, where he wanted, where these men wanted to know <laughs> these men and harm him. The angels told him what was going to happen. Lot warned his family. He warned his sons-in-laws. They thought he was joking. Why would they think he's joking? Hmm. And when it's time to leave, if you remember in reading scripture, the Bible said that Lot hesitated. He didn't want to leave. He had to be physically brought out of Sodom. I'm telling you, the world, when it has its grips on you, does not want to let you go. His sons-in-law thought he was joking. Why? Hey, Lot apparently had become prominent in the city. He was at the city gate with the other people, other men. He apparently had embraced or, or, or didn't have a disdain for what these men were doing because he was among them. He called them brothers, right? If we don't watch it, 
the things that are happening in the world, the different mindsets, the different ideals will begin to rub off on us. And we'll begin to think like they think. You might want to consider there might be things that you feel like, man, five years ago, I wouldn't have done this. But, you know, times are changing. You know, man, you got to change. You know, things are evolving. Like, man, we can't, you know, I know I wouldn't watch this maybe, you know, when I was younger. But, man, now, you know, it's all right. The dulling effect of the world. Now, real quick, I want to get to the word vex before we, we go. When I used to read the scriptures, I, I used to always think, okay, Lot was just aggravated by these men, man. It made him mad. He, he was vexed. But the word vexed has two different meanings. In verse 7, it has one meaning, and in verse 8, it has another meaning, right? In verse 7, when he talks about Lot being vexed by their filthy conversation, that word means to tire down or to exhaust or to oppress. So Lot was being tired out and oppressed by the conversation of the people that were around him. It was, it was wearing him down. The world has a way of wearing us down if we're not careful. Vexed in verse 8 is a different word. It means to be harassed or distressed, to torture or torment, but it also means to test as in testing of metals, as in testing with fire, you know, gold and silver. So Lot was being oppressed and tired out by the world, but he also was being tested. He was also being tested. We have to recognize that in this world, that the, a feature of the world that when it rubs up, uh, rubs up against us is that, yeah, it has a wearing down effect. And if we're not in our word, if we're not reading the word, we're not praying, we're not in devotion to the Lord, it would wear us out so much so that we begin to resemble the world. But it's also testing us, testing to see what's inside of us. And we see that what was inside of Lot Man, he didn't pass every test. So why was he considered a righteous man? Why was he considered just? It was because he believed God. Remember, he left with Abram to go to this new land. That means he left his family. He left his religion and everything else, too. So he believed God. He's justified like we're justified. We're justified by faith. It wasn't because Lot was a great picture of success, a great godly man. He was justified because he believed God. Also, he was saved, and I mean saved out of trouble and peril because of Abraham. The Bible said that God had compassion on Abraham, and, and he remembered Abraham and saved Lot. Man, I'm telling you, we have to watch ourselves. The world has a way of rubbing up against us, but if we are grounded and rooted in the truth of God's word, we can stand. We can stand even with this world around us and all the pressures that we may face. This has been Aaron Addison's here on American Family Radio. Had a great day, great discussion. Be with you, Lord willing, tomorrow. God bless.